We always say seat time is king, so sit on down and listen in to Motorsports Tech Talk with your hosts, Brian and Eric. Eric, how's it going? Pretty, I don't know. Had some racing earlier today. Someone scratched my car, though. I don't know. How are you doing today? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it's it's uh, doing pretty good. The season is uh, very fast approaching, so yes. I kind of I, I felt like I'm I feel like I'm in a better position on at least on the Miata than previous years. I mean, it's definitely better than last year. Last year, I at this point in time, I wouldn't have probably even had my transmission replaced or, or even one rebuilt and ready for it. So I already had, I just picked up last weekend. I picked up those rebuilt transmissions. So they're ready to go in and, nice. um, yeah. And then just a couple odds and ends to do on the car, but the transmission is the major thing. I'm hoping the, like I said before, get the new rear rear diff in there, but that's, if it doesn't happen, I, there's nothing wrong with the current one. Just I'll be slower. <laughs> sure. So. Well, cool. Sounds like you're you're getting ready. Yeah, yeah. It's um. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's always. It's uh, the winter can be tough when when it's dark always, and then also you're not racing. So. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, looking looking forward to getting back out there. So yeah, it'll be end of March. Is so there's still some time, but you know that that can easily just dis- disappear uh, very quickly if you're not careful. Yeah, it can definitely. So yeah, so so be careful. This is the takeaway from that. Yeah. But yeah, so today though, uh, we just we decided we wanted to talk about something we haven't talked about yet, and that's brakes. Yeah, there's um. There's a good opportunity there to, um, you know, I guess spread out some understanding of how the whole system works Um, because it's, I guess, maybe not complicated, but there's quite a few different parts of it. Um, And then that's also something that people target uh, when they're building a track car or a race car, right, is big brake kits. You know, how do I get bigger Mm -hmm. brakes on my car? Um, So I guess if we... You can, uh, you can, you can end up spending a lot of money on that kind of stuff if you're not careful, or maybe if you if you like to do that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. So you know, maybe, maybe with a better understanding of uh, how it works, people who are on the edge of not having to buy it will uh, realize they don't have to buy it and spend a few grand. So, so cool. Yeah, yeah. I guess you want to just dive right into it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, well, for one, one thing I've I think I've noticed uh, is at least with uh, kind of amateur endurance racing type stuff is I feel like brake issues are the most common I see outside of just general maybe reliability issues with a specific car. But as far as racing, trying to figure out like new guys coming in, figuring out like what they need to do to their brakes to to make them last, make them work, and have good performance out of them. So, but yeah, we can. We'll just we'll just start right off at the the basics, kind of the the full system. Yeah, yeah. So I guess um, working from uh, you know like the the driver interface out. Um, you know, you have a pedal, which goes to your master cylinder, which 
goes to your brake lines and potentially a proportioning valve, um, which then goes out to your calipers, which squeeze on your pads, uh, onto the rotor, which, you know, is attached to the hub and that's what slows everything down. So, uh, I guess starting at the top, um, the, the pedal, um, you know, the, the driver interface, um, will have a ratio, right? Uh, it's called a pedal ratio. Uh, and effectively what it is, is, um, the distance from the pivot point to where the pedal actuates the master cylinder and the distance from the pivot point to where the driver's foot is being applied. Right. Uh, same concept as, you know, using a wrench, right. Um, Mm-hmm. you know, or any sort of mechanical leverage, that's that's what you're getting out of that. So um, your pedal ratio gives you some leverage. And yeah, that's, that's it for the pedal. Um, I guess it's worth noting mm-hmm. for really high-end stuff, uh, not, not any sort of detail people have to worry about here, but the pedal does follow an arc. So the ratio going into the master cylinder because that's linear and ideally perpendicular. But again, pedal follows an arc. So not always, uh, that'll change a little bit, but, um, you know, for our purposes, it's just a number, just a regular ratio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For the, for the most part, especially in kind of streetcar, at least, uh, modified streetcar stuff where you're using the, the, the stock hardware, there's not really too much opportunity to modify that. The only, the main reason you'd want to is potentially maybe you could lengthen that to give yourself a little less pedal effort. Of course, that might increase your travel, mm. at least the, the effective travel at your foot. Uh, but, uh, for, yeah, for the most part, I mean, that's just one, it's, but it's just one characteristic that maybe makes some cars feel a little different than others as far as their, their brake effort or something. Right. Yeah. It's, it's one more tuning tool in this big thing. So, um, you know, and everything's a tool, tool in the brake system. So, you know, you go from the pedal to the, uh, the master cylinder, right. And that's pushing on a cylinder, go figure. Um, which is pushing against your brake fluid, which is an incompressible fluid. Um, and you know, the fluid goes all the way down to the caliper, but, um, this piston is pushing against the fluid, um, directly because of the pedal and the force, well, there's going to be a force at the pedal. I guess the easiest way to think about it is pressure you're building, right? and how it'll relate to stopping effort. So um, looking at two systems that are the same otherwise, a larger diameter uh, master cylinder will give you uh, more, you'll need more force, but you'll have less travel, right? Mm -hmm. To build the same Mm -hmm. pressure, you have more area, you need more force, but you'll have less travel. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, which can be, uh, very, it can be very important to, uh, to keep an eye out on if you, if you are upgrading your brake calipers, because a lot of times kits that are specifically designed for 
maybe your specific car, uh, they'll they'll size those pistons to be basically the same area as the the stock pistons, or at least or piston depending on the stock setup. Uh, so one thing to look out for is if there is a big brake hit and they are changing that piston size, then potentially you'll want like so basically if if the piston area is a lot larger on your new brake setup than the stock one, and you keep your master cylinder alone, there's a chance that you could basically bottom out your master cylinder if you don't have enough travel uh, in that in that setup to be able to actuate the brakes properly. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing like when you're looking at, if you are looking at potentially changing your, your brake calipers uh, and going to either more or bigger pistons, it's one thing to, to look out for that you might want to also size up your, your master cylinder at the same time to make sure you kind of maintain that same amount of travel that you'd expect. Uh, potentially with that, basically going f- to bigger pistons on the caliper end of bigger bore, you will increase your your pedal effort, but if you still have a brake booster, it probably won't be too noticeable. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess, and just to touch on the booster, um, that's uh, effectively just a giant diaphragm that generally has uh, vacuum on both sides. You press the pedal um, and you move a little valve and then you have atmospheric pressure on one side which then that diaphragm that difference in pressure um is exerting a force and it's just assisting uh your pedal effort so Mm -hmm. but uh but going from the master cylinder um and you have you know your brake lines uh which will go out to the calipers uh the way the master cylinder is split up uh, is different through some different cars, so I'm not going to like get too into that, but um, I guess it's worth noting that depending on how it works out, you might have a proportioning valve on the hard line or your brake line that goes to the rear. And the point of that is just to limit, um, you know, your pressure going to the rear uh, and that way you can maintain a front bias or a specific front bias. So, but um, those are the lines, right? Uh, eventually you get out mm-hmm. to the wheel end, so you'll have your soft line um, because your your hose needs to be able to move and that attaches to the caliper. And as Brian already mentioned, the calipers will have a piston or pistons. Some of them have multiple. Um, if you're in a Miata, you have one so because <laughs> it's tiny or it's a tiny car, but you have a piston and this is working in the same manner that the piston in the master cylinder works, right? You've built a pressure in the line by using the brake pedal and this pressure over the area of this piston in the caliper is exerting a force onto the pad. Right. And then your mm-hmm. your pads squeeze your squeeze your rudder. Yeah. Yeah. And is yeah, one thing to note with uh with uh brake calipers is there's kind of two major styles that you'll see. Uh, most most uh kind of normal 
uh, everyday cars. Uh, I mean, they are not crazy sports cars or supercars. They'll have a, kind of a sliding, sliding caliper arrangement. So there's there's only a piston on one side, uh, but then the basically the entire assembly can can kind of slide. It's it's pushing on one side and then it can it can slide on the other. So it's effectively kind of doubling your clamping. Uh, versus a, a, a kind of monoblock style caliper that you'll see on race cars, your your fancy Brembos and stuff. That it's solidly mounted, the whole caliper solidly mounted, and then you have the pistons clamping from both sides. You have two sets of pistons, one on both sides clamping, um, and then which uh, I mean the main from what I've seen the main advantage of your monoblocks is that a lot of times they'll be lighter, but that's Mostly due to the materials, because the 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 monoblocks will be usually aluminum uh, versus your steel or cat or your cast iron uh, sliding calipers. So there's usually a weight benefit, but then also it, it depends on how uh, everything else is kind of set up, like how you're if if you have floating rotors and that kind of thing. But I think it can be at least you can usually make them a lot stiffer, so you can have like a lot better pedal feel. Uh, and maybe a little more consistent braking with the with the monoblock versus the whole sliding assembly. I know with uh, with my Miata, if you're when you're bleeding the brakes, you can you can watch the whole assembly kind of flexing when the person's kind of pumping it up and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know, there 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 can be there's definitely benefits going to those more more expensive uh, monoblock calipers. But ultimately, if the piston area is sized the same between the two. They basically can do the same braking force. Yes. Um, yeah. The the force that they can generate is the same, um, or would be the same. Uh, you know, as you noted, compliance is huge in sliding calipers. That's why you'll never see them on a on a race car. Uh, but they're cheap, so they're good enough for your normal driver, daily driver cars. Um, mm-hmm. And those sliding pins. Um, just generally because the whole caliper is moving, you're going to have more friction in that assembly mm-hmm. than, you know, your fixed caliper. Um, so that's the other, the other downside why they don't belong in race cars, but they're good enough for you maybe. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess one small advantage that a sliding caliper can have is, uh, potentially they can heat up the fluid a little less because you only have kind of the piston on one side. Uh, but that's usually, I mean, when that's just maybe a consideration for if you're going to those larger, uh, brake calipers, just worry about, make sure you have a high boil, boil point, high boiling point, uh, fluid, um, as well as good brake cooling. So I guess yeah. from here we can, we can talk a little about, about the fluid. Yeah, I guess, I guess so. Um, but a, a thing of note is on the nice fixed calipers, you'll see. Um, like fluid channels on the exterior of the caliper. Um, mm-hmm. and that is meant to keep the fluid cold and everything. So, um, if you're buying the cheapest fixed caliper, you can, uh, it's, it's a good point about fluid temp. Um, but the, the fancy ones, the caliper designers did, uh, think of that, right? Some of that, <laughs> uh, surface on like the really crazy ones like the radicals um is meant for you know controlling temperature Mm -hmm. but yeah you know as you mentioned uh fluid is huge um you know you need an incompressible fluid just brake fluid um so that's because you're you know 
uh, just trying to generate a pressure in your system. So brake fluid, uh, A, don't get it on your skin. It's bad for you. Uh, but also it is hygroscopic. So it attracts water. Um, so one upgrade, quote unquote, that you can do, um, for most people anyway, is bleeding your brakes if you haven't done it in a while. Um, the brake fluid naturally attracts that water, uh, which will build um, some uh, compressibility into your fluid. You know, and the, the temperature range uh, that it cannot boil at, or it's hard to say cannot, but the, the temperature that it boils at is greatly reduced if it has water um, in the system. So it's another bad thing. So, you know, uh, every year or, you know, if you're not tracking your car or whatever, two years with dot three fluids, probably fine. But, um, you know, fluids, fluids, a big one. So, and it's relatively inexpensive. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, but that kind of, that kind of covers most of the, like the full kind of brake system. I guess. Let's talk about pads. Well, I guess the last thing. Uh, yeah, we didn't really go too much into pads and rotors, so, um, but yeah, so I guess that's a good, good place to, to move into as well. So obviously you got your caliber, it's cl clamping, uh, using it's between the pad or between the caliber and the rotor is the pad that's clamping onto. And, um, yeah, so pads can, can come in a lot of different, you know, kind of compositions, compounds, uh, types of materials, um, you know, ranging from your kind of organic compounded uh, street brakes that are, you know, have good good friction at really cold temperatures, which is what you want when you're just leaving your driveway and everything, and but potentially don't have very good high temperature uh, stability. And, you know, they basically if you take them on a racetrack, they, they might just melt, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> which definitely wouldn't be good. Um all the way up to your, uh, you can go all the way up to your carbon, carbon brakes that, you know, Formula One cars have that, you know, super light, last forever, but of course cost like millions, <laughs> maybe not millions, but thousands of dollars basically. So that's kind of probably out of most people's reach. Yeah. Well, and uh, like an int interesting note though about the carbon um, is for a lot of road cars, not the fancy Formula One ones, right? But for a lot of road cars, uh, your carbons will wear at temperature. Um, it's mm -hmm. it's interesting because if you, uh, you know, if you work for a magazine and you're reviewing the car, you'll never notice it. Um, but a lot of these systems uh, do wear. That's why you can buy steel rotor brake kits for your like 911 GT3, you know, um, and for your Corvette ZR1. Uh, and we, we can go into wear in a minute, but um, yeah, it's worth noting when your rotors cost 10 grand and they start wearing, <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll last forever on the street. Um, but if you're really abusing your car, Consider that it might turn into hundreds of dollars per lap for your brake system. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I guess a yeah, quick 
kind of side note, yeah, some of those cars that come with the carbon ceramic brake packages and stuff, I, a lot of times I think I would try to avoid that because of that really, really huge cost there. Like, I, yeah, that'd be crazy just having to get your brakes, your rotors replaced and spending thousands. I, I don't know if I would want to really deal with that for the maybe not huge performance advantage, especially if you're just doing track days. Like you don't, you don't need to win a race. So, right. you know, you can definitely afford to, you maybe you can't afford to not <laughs> go with the steel brakes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it's not really a braking performance advantage. It's just, you know, your giant steel rotors go to carbon and it's significantly lighter. So it's, wonderful for your mm -hmm. unsprung mass um but break wise yeah. you don't really get any uh, outside of the lighter unsprung mass you don't really get any benefit mm -hmm. out of it. so yeah yeah so um but yeah so i guess going back to to pads uh you know you're, you're kind of mid-range you're going to find your like uh kind of semi-metallic or uh, ceramic type pads, uh, and that's that's where you're gonna find your, but those can range though from from your kind of autocross and street usage up to your endurance racing or sprint racing type uh, pads. So even within those same kind of material choices, you know they're they're gonna be catered towards. You know some pads can be catered towards the the really high braking force at low temperatures, and then others will be you know your more endurance race pads meant for low wear at really high temperatures um and but maybe don't have much braking until you warm them up which in a in a race sprint race or endurance race you're gonna have no problem because you have the the pace lap one or two pace laps to to get everything up to temperature so it's it's not too much of a concern there right. but if you if you're using those pads on your daily driver streetcar maybe that you take to track days every once in a while it, you might maybe have a slight rude awakening when you come up to that first stoplight and, and everything's still freezing cold. So, right. And, and even, and even if they do work, okay. Uh, you, you also have the added a lot of times the added annoyance of just them being super loud and squeaky because, uh, and squealing. Cause usually pads like that, they're uh, basically the, the race pads, they're going to be almost kind of stiffer. So they're going to, they're going to vibrate on the rotor, uh, at low, at those low temperatures. Um, creating those the, that noise so uh and then also usually those type of brake pads they're not going to spend much time trying to optimize the the noise of it because it's right. it's a racetrack and race car certainly not, not when they're cold they don't care about it yeah exactly so um so yeah i mean it's one it's it's one area i think probably one of the most important areas to to, to look at for improving your brake performance and i think a little later we'll get into like kind of maybe your upgrade path almost of, of what to look into if you're if you're trying to get better brake performance better longevity that kind of thing mm -hmm. uh, but before we go there is the last thing would be your rotor so you know your rotor it's attached to your your wheel hub and it's just there to to be the thing that the the whole brake system clamps on to, to slow down your vehicle but it's i guess its main function other than that is to also be a big kind of thermal mass to to take a lot of that heat and and dissipate it. So most of the time, uh, most cars have at a minimum or vented front rotors. Uh, some you'll see with vented rears, maybe your more high performance cars. Right. Uh, but when we, when we say vented, we mean, um, basically in, in the, the center of it will be, um, 
kind of hollowed out in order to give it a lot more surface area. Both on the outside of the rotor, outside of the rotor, you have some surface area that you can use to cool. But then it gives that kind of internal surface area to also increase cooling. And then, right. kind of your your higher performance rotors will have directional vanes, basically, and uh, what those are acting like is almost kind of like a, a fan to to pull air, basically from the usually it's from the center of the hub mm-hmm. or the back of the rotor there into the rotor, then out the out the edges. So. Uh, those those can also help, but of course, then it makes your rotors directional. So you need to make sure you have the the right the the right side rotor on on the correct side to to have the the correct kind of venting effect. Mm-hmm. But um, but then other things you can see uh, sometimes you'll see uh, slots in the rotors. A lot of times, uh, basically, those are meant for kind of help cleaning off the pad as it kind of goes across the rotor surface and it kind of helps kind of outgas a little bit. Yep. Uh, all that, that interaction that's getting really hot and everything. So it, it helps keep the pads potentially fresher, maybe a little longer. Uh, but in my experience, I, I haven't really messed with them too much and I'm not sure if the way I see it, I'm not sure if they're worth the added cost for maybe the slight maybe break uh, the rotor wear benefit you or not rotor wear, but a pad wear benefit you might see. So that's uh, that honestly for me, I'd need to see a little more kind of evidence on it before I'd go out and, and worry too much about slots. Right. Uh, but, uh, holes? and then, and then you you also have holes. So cross drilled rotors, uh, a lot of times I think it's more of a, a looks thing. They, they do look cool. I mean, cause I don't know, maybe some race cars back in the day had them, so a lot of people like to copy that kind of thing. Obviously, it can reduce your weight of the rotor as well as, mm-hmm. again, increase that surface area a little bit more. Uh, but the the problem I see most uh, happen most often is because you have those holes, you're, you're adding kind of weak points in your rotor, and that's where the cracks are going to start propagating. So uh, that can kind of be avoided if you get a really high quality drill rotor where basically the holes are cast in and then they just do a little bit of finishing uh, finish machining mm-hmm. uh, but uh, if if someone's just yeah taking a if they're taking a perfectly good cast iron rotor and then throwing it on like a drill press and just putting a bunch of holes in it it's gonna it's gonna be a recipe for uh, disaster for your for your brake setup yeah if you're, if you're using cheap cross drilled rotors um it's it's not worth it um for sure. And another thing to, to keep in mind is, so they have, it obviously makes the rotor lighter. Um, but when you're doing your math a bit down the road, um, for your pad area, you, you lose some of that area, um, because the, the area is assumed to be, uh, what's in contact with the rotor, which is the whole pad most of the time but if you have holes in the rotor obviously it's not contacting there so it you know will actually reduce your pad area a little bit so but yeah i think you know cheap cross-drilled rotors are just gross so (laughs) yeah yeah i would for the most part try to try to avoid those because uh, usually they cost more too so it's it's kind of like oh it mm-hmm. costs more and it breaks sooner great that's that's, yeah. what, I, that's what i need <laughs> no thanks uh, but um yeah so but i guess that covers most of the system um 
before we get too deep into upgrades and sizing, I think it's it's important to understand um, how the vehicle's reacting and just on a big picture, like very broad stroke, um, your tires are still the limiting factor of slowing the car down. If you lock them up, uh, you know, you'll flat spot them, but uh, you know you go from that static to kinetic area of friction. Um, so great, you know maybe you can now lock your tires up easier because you've got you know, all the pedal pressure, but um, it's not doing you anything. And then it's also good to realize that that will change uh, with conditions right so Mm -hmm. if you have you go out on a beautiful day you step hard on the brakes and you decelerate at a certain rate Uh, if it's raining again the tire is the limiting factor so because you can only decelerate so much right your upper limit is a lot lower then you're going to load the front less so the car's Weight transfer is going to be less. It's going to be closer to balanced, uh, which would then indicate that you could use more rear brake, right? So uh, this is where adjustable proportioning valves come in, right? Um, so mm-hmm. you can change that bias on the go a little bit anyway. So yeah, just a yeah, I always, big picture. I always find that in, that that uh, interesting. Because uh, it's something you don't really think about when you're you're maybe out driving and it starts raining. But um, yeah, I remember I did the math uh, when I was working on sizing the uh, brake system for the Starion. Yeah, maybe if if that ever comes together. One day. But uh, basically, I, I, I'm planning to go with one of those uh, kind of seven position brake proportioning valves that they sell versus the knob type. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I did the numbers and yeah, based on kind of what you'd expect the, the friction, the kind of the tire friction to reduce to when it's wet, uh, you're basically looking at like a full click adjustment when you're going from, uh, actually no, you're looking at like two to three clicks from, from rain uh, to dry. And sorry, the the other interesting thing I found was, um, with the star end with having 22 gallons of fuel on board going from, uh, full fuel load to no fuel load, you actually would want to make one click adjustment uh, from the beginning to the end of your stint to basically keep your brake bias matching properly with your weight transfer because you'd be losing over a hundred pounds of, of fuel through the through the stint basically. So yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's yeah, that's that's kind of some of your more advanced stuff, obviously, uh, and kind of building that kind of adjustability in your system can definitely, of course, help, but. Um, but I guess if we, uh, go back to the, the basics, looking at your, your starting out, maybe you're building a champ car or lemons car or something like that. And you're, you're looking at your stock brake setup and you're like, what, what should I do here? How, how do I turn this from a, from a grocery getter to a race car, um, without, you know, breaking the bank. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think the, the first place. Yeah, we kind of touched on it. The first place you look at is probably going to be your brake pad, as well as, of course, the brake fluid. Um, I think those those are going to be your first spots to look at. Um, so for brake pad, as we said, if you're doing some sort of endurance racing, you're definitely going to want like a full uh, race pad, um, and that's I guess to 
as far as like what's on the market. That's that's kind of your so if you're looking at Hawks, that would be your DTC type pads. Um, Carbotech, your XP, you know, eight through twelve or fourteen or whatever whatever number they go up to. Um, your G Lock uh, G series, so like up to your G18s or whatever. Uh, Art Robustos ST43, 45, kind of that range. Uh, your P- PFC, kind of 01, 08, those kind of uh, those as well. I'm, and I'm sure I'm, there's a lot of others. I'm sure Will would make something that, but basically you're looking at your full race compounds that are they're meant for for long, long high break temperature uh, periods basically and. And also, they're going to provide you with good, good brake feel and modulation at those temperatures. Uh, versus something like uh, you might be able to make, like a say, a, I know a popular one is a Hawk Blue. Uh, some cars, I think you can, you can get away with it, but from what my experience, if you're doing kind of endurance racing, you're going to want to go to a, kind of basically a full race pad. Blue, I'd consider more an in between. It, it would be good in like an autocross track day kind of situation, uh, but then also be okay on the street. So, um, right. So yeah, it's def it's definitely good to just to, to look to stay away from those autocross style pads when you're doing track racing. And then, of course, if you're autocrossing, you wanna you want those pads to get up to temperature real fast, since you're basically gonna break within the first hundred feet or so. So they need to be ready um, right away. So it's definitely definitely a consideration there. Mm-hmm. Well, and so I mean. Just as a upgrade, mm-hmm. not just from a longevity standpoint, um, like you're mentioning, but an actual braking, you know, deceleration standpoint, the mu or the, the coefficient of friction you get out of these race pads when they're in their operating temperature is significantly higher than what you would have uh, in your car now, which, you know, I'm mm-hmm. sure you've all been into the ABS or locked them up. So, um, you know. You can just think of how much more these will get you, uh, which you'll need when you have stickier tires. Again, we go back to that whole, you know, uh, relationship there. But um, yeah, if you're if you're frustrated with your braking system and feel like it's not braking enough, um, these look at pads, right? That's your mm-hmm. entire friction compound. So that's a great place to start, yeah. and the the jump might be more than you think it'll be. Yeah, and you actually touched on it too, because sometimes if you feel like your car's not stopping fast enough, and you already have these these race pads in there, then maybe your tire is basically the next area you need to look at, because that's that's what ultimately is slowing down the car as far as the interaction between the road and the tire. Of course, the brakes are are enabling that deceleration, but uh, you know we we talked about it a little bit in our intro to tire uh, in two hundred treadwear tire episode that. Some some of the tires are just better for that longitudinal, you know, grip that braking. So you know, it, don't I guess don't always blame it on the brake system. It could be the tire as well is uh, is struggling. But this is a this is more a brake episode, so we'll we'll keep it obviously on the uh, the, the pad side mm-hmm. uh, for now. So, but yeah, I mean, yeah, going to those race pads a lot of times, and and some manufacturers will advertise it kind of what they expect the mu to be you know, the friction coefficient to be at the operating temperature. So that's one way to 
to kind of gauge a pad because if you if you do go too aggressively it can make it almost like an on-off switch especially with like a 200 treadwear tire uh, so you want to be careful there maybe some pads are more designed for for slick you know slick tire usage so um you know definitely try not to go to the super duper most aggressive race pads possible if you're just doing kind of 200 treadwear type uh racing or, mm-hmm. or tracking so um but also i mean one thing i i have noticed uh trying out different compounds is sometimes those full super aggressive race pads can actually offer a little more longevity because they have that more temperature resistance but maybe they they yeah, they just don't feel as good as far as they're a little more on off switch and they're yeah, a little harder to modulate especially with like kind of with a 200 treadwear setup so it's it, but but making sure you you have the kind of right pad for the application is definitely obviously the first thing to do and and although it sounds you know you you go to the auto parts store and it's maybe like 40 bucks for a set of rear pads or front pads or something that are you know just Wagner's or you know Ribestos or like the basic basic parts store stuff you might think oh I'm going up to a hundred fifty two hundred dollars set of pads for one for one axle is that sounds like it's just going to quadruple my cost but you'll actually see that that forty dollar pad probably won't last more than and if you're doing like twenty minute sessions in a track day it should be okay but if you're doing two hour stints it might not even last that long right whereas the full race pad could go. 24 hours or so, uh, hard racing. And so your cost may actually be lower in that case by having the correct pad for the job. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, uh, I think we, we made it clear this pad is where you start. Right. Um, and as we already went over fluid, right. Uh, typically the higher level fluid, um, cause it's, dot rated and numerically so um will be more hygroscopic um so it'll have a higher temperature resistance um some of them you'll see a bunch of like dot fours that are rated very differently right your autozone brand dot four is not as good as your you know pfc fluid or um you know, what's the motul right it's a popular mm-hmm. one, uh, SRF or ATE. So they all have different boiling points. Uh, and typically what happens is the higher that boiling point, uh, again, it's a generalization, the more hygroscopic it is. So if you're using these fancy fluids, they may resist heat better, uh, which if you're on that limit is good and you want that or need that. But you should know that you need to bleed your brakes at increased intervals uh, because of that. Mm-hmm. If you're racing, really, you should be doing it before every race, maybe even before every day, right? If it's a, you know, two races back to back, you know, Saturday, Sunday, just bleed the brakes when day one is done, right? So, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like going, I think a lot of times you can, it definitely can be overkill going to, you know, the most expensive fluid, like, which I believe is SRF is kind of the, mm-hmm. the highest end one, the Castrol SRF. Um, uh, there's, there's good middle grounds. I think like the, the lower end, the, the Motul RBF 600, 
as well as uh, I think a fan, uh, a favorite of mine is the the AT, uh, I guess AT Blue, I guess Type Five Hundred or whatever it's uh, mm-hmm. called now. Yeah, it's not blue anymore. Um, but... Yeah, it's not blue anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's a that seems to be a good kind of cost to performance ratio area. Um, I think one thing I'd look out or try to avoid is band-aiding a a break overheating issue with just higher end fluid. I think uh, you'll be better off kind of fighting the problem at the source, and that is with brake cooling. So that kind of leads, I guess, a little bit into rotors for one, uh, but also just uh, brake ducting. So right. for your for your track day car, maybe brake ducting isn't too feasible because you don't want to be cutting into your your bumper and everything. Uh, but maybe it's not required because you're just doing 20 minute sessions. But once you get into a full racing uh, scenario, endurance racing, that kind of uh, those kind of situations, you're definitely want to uh, going to want to add some uh, some brake ducting. So you know, like two three inch hose is usually going to be enough. And some, some cars I've seen they like NASCAR. I think they have like, sometimes they'll have like three hoses, three four inch hoses going. One's going to the caliper, two are going right in the middle of the rotor. They're just yes. Those real race cars like, get pretty wild. Yeah, like you know, NAS, uh, breaking a big you know NASCAR Cup car on on the on the road courses can definitely require a, quite a bit. So, so you can see some pretty crazy setups on those. Um, and so yeah, I and mean, just adding a brake duct that goes from the front of your car and vents ideally to the center of your rotor, which is usually how the 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 vented rotors are, are designed to to pull air from. That should give you um, much better. Hopefully, much it can it can give you better pad life. It can give you better rotor life, and then also it can hopefully at, at least prevent that boil over uh, boiling of the fluid. That'll greatly reduce your braking performance. Yeah, um, but I mean, so to note about temperature, uh, it's it's a compounding problem, um, and it's kind of cool but crazy. Uh, how it works, right? Uh, one thing starts to get hot uh, just outside of its temperature range, right? So let's say your pads are starting to degrade. Not that bad though yet, right? They're just a little outside their range. So as the driver, you step on the pedal just a little bit harder to make up for that. Because what you're doing when you do that is, you know, building more pressure in the system, right? So this is what you feel when the the pedal starts to get long, when you start to get scared about your brakes going away on the track. Um, so you're pushing the pedal more to get the same force um, or to get the same clamp load, but you know, you're not even the same clamp load to, to get the same torque at the wheel. Right? So what you're doing is you're squeezing the pads harder. Um, so they're getting hotter sooner. So you have more force, more temperature. You're adding temperature to fixed temperature, right? It's mm-hmm. if you get into this area, it's not a problem that'll fix itself. So yes. So yeah, um, <laughs> you know, cooling is is very important. Um, and yeah, I guess, I guess it just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, the the pads you're selecting do have an operating range. So theoretically, although it'd be hard pressed to happen, you could overcool your brakes, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not in that operating range. Um, 
So, you know, that being said, yeah. if you have a normal car and you're taking it to the track, it, they probably need to be cooled. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's one area I think I, I, I definitely, uh, I think a lot of teams could, could benefit a lot from it. There's not too many people or the, a lot of people starting out won't really consider it as much, uh, or if, if they do, they'll, they'll, maybe they come up with something that's either not robust. I see a lot of brake ducts kind of dragging on the ground halfway through the race, uh, mm-hmm. or, um, or they're just, yeah, they're not maybe venting it correctly. Uh, Cause I, I've seen there's, there's a possibility for causing some actually extra cracking by just shooting the air right on the rotor face, maybe on one side. And it's creating kind of that difference in temperature from one to the other. And it can either, uh, basically it can, it just can create some kind of heat stress fracture. So that's, that's one thing to be careful about is there's definitely a wrong way to vent, uh, to cool your brake. So, uh, yeah, ideally you're, you're venting it into the center, uh, of, of a vented rotor. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that'll that'll help that'll pull the air through from the middle out and and cool both sides evenly. So, um, but I mean that kind of gets a little bit into the rotor as well. So, the rotor is one area where I feel like you can very quickly overspend for really maybe no performance benefit. Um, I I always felt my my opinion has always been kind of the best bang for your buck is to go go you know, go all in on, on your pads, get some really good pads, you know, good fluid. It doesn't have to be the top end. And then rotor, you can just go get the cheapest white box and just, but have a lot on hand for, and just kind of keep an eye on them. Look for when the cracking comes too much. Uh, usually my experience, they'll usually, you know, kind of, uh, wear out through cracking than they will before they, they, you lose too much kind of rotor material you know, before you wear down the material or the rotor itself, but that also can depend on the pad. Some pads are much more aggressive on the rotor mm-hmm. uh, than others, and usually those are going to be your longer-lasting pads. Maybe the pads last a long time, but the rotors don't. Um, but honestly, from from a cost standpoint, I see, I find you can go on Rock Auto or your local auto parts store, and you can get them uh, for most kind of like your Miata, your E30, BMW, or something like that. You can get rotors for like. versus your pads are $200. So, you know, if, if you're wearing, if you get a, a higher wearing or a pad that wears the rotor more, but lasts longer than it usually from a cost standpoint, it can, uh, it can be better as long as of course you're not destroying the rotor before, you know, 12 hours, you know, eight hours into the race or whatever, and Mm -hmm. you you have to (laughs) replace it. But uh, I don't know. I, I find that you do really don't have to go crazy on the rotor. I mean, you can you can start looking at a directional vane. That'll be a, a definitely a, a good improvement in cooling. Um, but of course, an increase in cost because now they have to stock you know two different part numbers for left and right, uh, and then usually your rear rotors are going to be a different size too. So now you have specific part numbers for all of your all four corners. Um, and then uh, on top of that, you know you got to be careful to make sure you put the right ones on. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, from there you can go into the, your, your two piece rotors, which are going to be usually lighter because now you have an aluminum center hat, uh, versus just all cast iron. And then you have your outer ring that you can potentially change out and keep the aluminum hat, uh, in place. So you only have to change the ring, but um, over time you probably want to look at that aluminum piece cause it could fatigue, but, um, but yeah, with your two piece, you have the opportunity to, to maybe also add some 
uh, basically some floating pins. It basically allows the, the rotor ring to kind of slide a little bit on the hat, which can potentially reduce a little bit of that kind of brake drag you get on down the straights, just of the pad slightly sliding against the rotor. It helps kind of align it a little better. Uh, but, but that's, that's starting to get a lot more expensive. I've seen, you know, rotors like that can start going for 200, 300 a piece, and you're probably still wearing them out nearly as often as a, just a, a white box, cheap rotor, um, with, uh, maybe you get a marginal, uh, benefit from the longevity of the rotor and it can be lighter so that's that could be a performance benefit but if we're just purely looking at kind of cost of performance a lot of times it can be diminishing returns i feel Mm -hmm. yeah i guess on on the note of rotors um just like there's two different types of calipers you have floating and fixed caliper uh you have the same with rotors right and you kind of touched on that with the two-piece though not all two pieces are floating um the point here is when you fix your caliper, you need to have some slack, I guess, in the system um, directionally because these rotors get hot, they expand. Um, you know, it's, it's all a thermal problem. So the sliding caliper takes up for that um, with your normal solid rotor. Um, but if you have a fixed caliper, you need to do that with a floating rotor. Um, so, and like you said, and that, that really helps the rotor grow in the direction of its width. Uh, it's not going to shake back and forth uh, around the center of that ring. So that's, that's mm-hmm. why you have the two different types of rotors. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but like I said, I feel like if you're just looking for good cost of performance, kind of going going big with your pads and going cheap with your rotor seems to be a, kind of a, a winning formula, at least what I noticed in, in racing in like Champ Car. Of course, once you get into super high-end, you know, stuff uh, where maybe you have a lot of horsepower, you know, you know, it's, it's easy to stop a 100-horsepower Miata, you know, that weighs 2,000 pounds. Once you have something that maybe weighs a little bit more or to a lot, but a lot more that has 600 horsepower, uh, that's when you you're gonna want to get definitely start looking in your your, your big brake kits, um, mm-hmm. your floating rotors, your larger super thick vented rotors, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the the thing about adding speed, right? So if you've boosted your car or engine swapped it or whatever, uh, energy, which is effectively all you're trying to bleed off with the brake system, uh, is one half mv squared, so velocity. So that V squared portion, well, it's squared, so uh, it gets big quickly. So that's, you know, that's really where you want to consider those, these sort of kits. But um, yeah, I guess, so looking at these components, um, you know, you can trade them out or upgrade based on your needs. So big picture, you know, we said pads and fluid. Uh, if you feel like, you know, you're, getting good stopping performance um, out of your brake system, at least initially, and then it starts to trail off, it kind of points you towards cooling being your problem. You know, if you feel that you just can't brake, then we need to do something else about that. Uh, It starts with the pad, getting that higher coefficient of friction. Uh, But if you've already got some super pads, you need to brake more, 
how do we get more braking torque? Um, and then that's going to be where these other kits come in. Um, you're generating a torque um, about the wheel when you brake. And the force starts at the center of the pad. Um, and then the lever arm is from that point to the center of the, you know, the hub. Um, so you can get more braking torque by moving that point out. So you could keep the same pad area and the same piston area. And if you moved your caliper out and obviously had the rotor to match it, um, you can get more braking torque. Most big brake kits don't just move your caliper, but uh, that is an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. And then when we start to look at these kits, that's when you see bigger brakes, um, sometimes more pistons with the same piston area. I've seen that on a few Miata kits. Um, and what I think, personally, I think for these kits, what you're getting is lighter weight. Uh, they have the two-piece rotor, so they have an aluminum center, and then they have uh, aluminum caliper. So oh, even though you're going up in size, you might be able to lose some weight. Um, mm -hmm. So that's where I see the benefit for some of these. But otherwise, you know, you get that uh, larger moment arm, so you're you're getting more braking there. Um, and then if you, you know, adjust your master cylinder to with your new calipers uh, based off of piston area, you can get, you know, more force, um, you know, mm -hmm. on those pads as well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess another thing by by increasing that rotor size, which, you know, like you said, increases the, the torque, kind of the moment arm, uh, but you're also, you're also potentially adding some more thermal mass by going to that bigger rotor, which can mm -hmm. be a, a big benefit to cooling, uh, especially, you know, if you're, if you're doubling your horsepower, that's something that's going to start coming quickly a problem. So yeah, by going to that bigger rotor, you're adding, uh, some more cooling capacity, uh, more kind of heat load or heat capacity of the system and while also potentially increasing your brake torque a little bit. Um, and then uh, you touched on a little bit and talking about multiple pistons, you're adding, going from two piston or a you know, single piston sliding to two piston to four piston to six piston. I mean, you can, I'm, I'm sure there's like eight piston stuff out there. I think I've seen it on like oh, crazy yeah. Mercedes SLS, you know, shit like that. But, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, as far as pistons, cause I think that's, that's one area that maybe people just think, Oh, well, six piston, that's more race car equals more better. Right. Um, more pistons definitely equals more better, but the main, the main, from what I've seen, the main benefit from going to more pistons is basically it allows you to have a larger size pad, uh, which again, that can help with your thermal properties. Uh, it can help with the longevity of the pad. Um, I mean, by increasing that pad area, of course, that's increasing your braking force. Um, although usually, sorry, actually, I mean, the, the braking force is basically calculated based on your piston size. Mm -hmm. So if you're increasing your piston size, or if your piston size stays, stays the same and you're just increasing your pad size, that actually isn't changing your, your brake torque. Um, but it, it creates a larger area for you know, kind of the, the pad to, to get up to temperature as well as the rotor to, to 
to also uh, get hotter. So that it can increase, basically it can help with, again, further help with te temperature issues and, and more pad material is usually going to mean longer pad life, uh, especially if you start, like one advantage I see going to these big brake kits, uh, at least that I would want to take advantage of, especially in an endurance racing situation, is a lot of times it opens up thicker, thicker pad options, which will definitely give you much more uh, wear life. And a lot of times for the money, it can be better. A lot of times the pads won't be that much more expensive or the same for the thicker material ones. Um, and you'll just be able to get that much more life out of them. So, but, but yeah, it's definitely, it's one thing to look or one thing to be careful with just cause you're going to some crazy six piston thing and the pads look twice as big. It doesn't really mean you're actually getting more braking force. That's basically just determined by that piston size. Mm -hmm. uh, it just means, you know, you, you'll get a little more from the larger, you know, brake moment from the larger rotor, but ultimately it's just that piston size. So a lot of these big brake kits, like they're, they're usually in order to keep it compatible with the stock brake system, they just, they just add more pistons, but smaller area, which ultimately doesn't really give you any more brake, brake force. It's just, it's just giving you more heat capacity for you know, maybe longer track days, stuff like that. But, uh, a lot of times I, I feel like it's it's weird seeing these big brake kits on a, a track day car that only needs to really go 20-minute sessions. And then you have guys running 24-hour races in, in Champ Car and Lemons and stuff like that. And they're, yeah. and they're running stock calipers with stock-looking rotors and, and just a race pad in there. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's kind of funny to see. but Yeah, I mean, if you're wearing you know, the caliper like jewelry, go for it. You know, just trying to <laughs> yeah. make it look cool and show off. Why not? But it may not, you know, necessarily be the be the answer. Yeah, and then I guess one one other feature I've seen in kind of the higher end calipers that uh, I would tend to to look out for is having different. Basically, they'll have different piston sizes as you uh, starting from the leading edge of the 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 pad to the trailing edge. So. The first piston will be the largest, basically, to get that initial clamp, and then it'll taper off as the pad's basically kind of heating up as it's sliding across the rotor. By tapering it down, you're 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 trying to even out the pad wear because there'll be it'll be kind of as you get towards the edge of the pad, it'll get much hotter and it might taper off and wear more. So, uh, one thing I've seen with kind of high end like AP racing calipers uh, is that they'll have the they'll specifically they'll have that different size piston to, to help wear because one thing i've noticed a lot with with some of those kind of willwood brake kits is that you will get some kind of tapered pad wear which you know it's just you're not using all of the pad for as effectively as you could be it, it mm -hmm. shouldn't really show up in braking feel or performance assuming the the pistons are all sized the the total area is the same but it can it can help with the pad wear basically right um, so, but unfortunately that's usually only on your much higher end calipers. It's, which is a shame cause it really, it's, I mean, I don't think it's that much more cost to put a different size hole in the caliper. Of course they have to stock different size pistons, but a lot of times they already do because they're going to offer a caliper in like, you know, four different piston sizes or something like that. Right. So, um, it's, it's one thing I, with specifically Willwood, which is kind of your, it, usually your cheapest kind of entry level, 
uh, fixed caliper you're going to find. Uh, some of them do have the different size pistons, so that's maybe one thing to look out for if you if you are going that direction, kind of going for monoblocks, mm -hmm. uh, fixed calipers. But um, yeah. And so I guess while we're talking about cheap or expensive calipers, um, another thing you might be able to get or you should be able to get out of a big brake kit, um, out of a good one, would be reducing compliance in your brake system. Um, and this all goes back to driver feel, um, which under brakes is huge, right? Uh, very important to lap time. So, you know, we, we've already discussed how there's more compliance um, in sliding calipers, but you should also pay attention to how you mount your caliper and how much compliance is within that caliper. Um, Willwood, for instance, has a wide range of calipers. Uh, they make you know, some heavy-duty ones, some light ones. And you can see uh, that the difference in compliance between the two is noticeable, right? The, the light ones will be cheaper. As the name implies, they'll be lighter. Um, you know, so there's some benefits there, but um, they will flex, you know, more. Uh, so that's, that's worth noting. Um, so if you're mm -hmm. trying to get rid of compliance, you don't really want to add it back in. Uh, and another place you might add it back in if you're not paying attention is the brake mounting bracket, you know, um, really just use a stiff bracket. Um, if you're designing one, mm -hmm. design it for stiffness, right? Um, that's, that's what you're trying to get. I've seen lots of flimsy, you know, uh, but cool looking anodized brackets. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, at least from what I've seen, they don't break, which is a big benefit. <laughs> they shouldn't. Um, and they get your caliper to sit on your wheel now, but you know, you don't, you don't want to put all this compliance back in. Um, so that's, mm -hmm. I guess that's worth noting between cheap and expensive uh and race cars will have radially mounted calipers but most likely you're not even with a big brake kit so but radial yeah. is yeah stiff. some yeah the the radio mounting i, I think willa does offer some radio radio mounted stuff and i think that is definitely a, a one way to go to try to increase your your stiffness of that that whole assembly um but i guess and you, you were talking about this will manifest itself in driver feel. Um, but and I guess another way it can, the reducing the compliance can manifest itself is in, uh, kind of what they call pad knockback. So basically, uh, what you'll find is say you, you go through some, some tight corners and kind of the flex of your brake mounting, as well as mainly your kind of your hub assembly and everything, that whole assembly will flex, um, and push the pad kind of back into the to the caliper and uh and it, basically when you go on the brakes after after you go through this these tight corners come on the straight hit on the brakes now all of a sudden you have to wait for the pad to kind of move back um so mm -hmm. potentially increasing uh kind of some of that stiffness can help in in that scenario um but also uh, i guess another feature to look out for is uh, some some of these brakes setups will have a a little what they call anti-knockback spring um, and that will just help push light it's just a light like eight pound spring or something that helps push the piston back out uh, after you get on the straight there 
Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that could end end up adding a tiny bit more drag uh, going down the straight. Um, if if you don't want to spend the money and you know going adding springs and uh, going crazy like that, the, the easy solution is to basically uh, on the driver's side as you as you're going down the straight, you just uh, you hold hold your right foot on the brake and just, or right foot on the gas and just tap the brake to make sure you kind of center up those pads uh, again. So right, and some of the the pro approach if you have these anti knockback springs and you want to get rid of this drag. Um, lots of teams just leave them in there because that's what they're there for. But um, if you have six pistons or up, you remove the middle spring. Um, so you still have that spring on your leading and trailing edge controlling your pad. But now you don't have as much, you know, uh, just nominal spring force pushing your pad into mm-hmm. the rotor. So take out that middle <laughs> one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... So it's it's yeah, it's one it's one other area to, to look out for. But then of course, uh, just adding stiffness to that whole assembly will just make the the brake pedal feel kind of stiffer. You'll get more meaningful kind of brake force from the same amount of travel or from from the same amount of travel. So mm-hmm. it's it's definitely having having kind of a solid pedal can definitely it, it's it'll feel better. It'll be help. It'll be easier for you to to modulate the brakes and everything. So. Um, def- definitely a benefit there. I mean, it's, it can't be, shouldn't be ignored. Right. Um, but, and another area of compliance, well, a big area that you always hear about for compliance, but I'm not sure I'm sold is in those flexible lines, um, that go from your hard line out to the wheel end. Um, the idea is, you know, if you look at the hoses on your car, it's rubber, uh, you go buy some braided stainless steel hoses which aren't going to flex as much, um, you know, when you build up all that pressure. So now you have a flexible hose, but um, it's just a little stiffer. So it helps avoid that compliance. At least that's how it's sold. Um, Now I have seen from a car where the caliper was rebuilt incorrectly. So the caliper locked, cooked the whole corner. When it came back in, I was looking at the brake line because it was a soft line. Um, and the rubber flaked off and below all the rubber was stainless steel braided line. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I'm not sure that's not what (laughs) it comes with from the factory, right? Maybe that just happened to be this car. It was a normal sedan. So there's no reason I would expect it to stand out. So maybe it's not a universal thing and I'm slightly crazy, but I have seen braided line under the rubber so then there'd be no benefit yeah. from you know i i i think that, that that is my understanding i mean although it has a outer kind of rubber uh coating or, or layer uh inside there is some reinforcement uh, some kind of metal reinforcement i mean i'd, I'd be really surprised if i mean because what we're talking about if it was just a straight solid rubber line i mean it's the same that you'd use for your like coolant hoses and stuff that can barely handle <laughs> yeah. 20 psi yeah. let alone a few thousand. couple thousand i mean it it's still hydraulic hose, although yeah, maybe it has a, some rubber layers. It's still rated for the pressure that it's meant for. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the the main benefit I see with those uh, braided stainless lines is just maybe a little more strength from kind of picking up debris or, or abrasion or something um, in a racing situation where you might find yourself 
flying through the grass and stuff when you're going off the track it might it can help with the the kind of strength of the hose because as you said i mean you you had an issue there and and part of it you know part of the, the outer layer came off you know that that's something you'd then want to replace whereas if if the hose is designed to have that hard braiding layer on the outside then it should be a little stronger uh, overall Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I'm not super convinced you're going to see a huge brake feel. A lot of that can be kind of placebo effect. You, you add it so. to the car and, and you expect there to be a change. So you kind of are looking for it and you, you might just any t- slight difference. You're like, Oh yeah, that must be the, the must be the brake lines. But maybe because you installed those lines, you, you, uh, bled your brake fluid right. and, and now they're, they're n- nice and stiff again. So <laughs> you're like, Oh man, these lines are awesome. But in reality, it was actually just uh, the fact that you bred, bled your brakes uh, for the first time, like since you owned the car. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so, they, yeah, they it's, look cool, it's I, but... yeah, yeah, yeah. The the benefit is to be seen. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I know my spec Miata came with them, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It I haven't had any problems with them, but I mean, even those can wear out too. You can you can. Uh, it's, it's just one thing I think to look out for it to potentially p- replace your brake lines a little more often than you think. It, don't just set it and forget it, you know, check them, make mm-hmm. sure they're okay. Cause obviously if, if that goes wrong, you're, you're going to have a bad day. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think that that really covers most of the areas. I'm just trying to think, I mean, one thing we didn't really get into is like ABS systems and stuff, but obviously that's. That's a whole nother uh, can of worms there. Um, yeah. And most uh, most of the time, at least, I mean, my spec Miata doesn't have ABS. I, I think a lot of these older uh, cars that you're going to see in endurance racing kind of won't have it, or a lot of people disable it. Um, but ABS is a whole nother kind of animal. That, and, uh, it, yeah, it, it's something yeah. we could maybe go into in the in the future, but I think... Uh, here maybe not necessary right now, but um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think is there anything else you can think of? Um, I think it's just more uh, fun details rather than things for the average person to consider, you know. Um, but for race cars, which we'll see a lot of the time, is they have two master cylinders um, instead of one. So they don't have a prop valve that's limiting the fluid going to the rear. Instead, they're just pushing on those two master cylinders and they have a bar going in between them. Uh, and the pedal pushes on the bar. And then they have a proportioning knob that moves that bar um, closer to one pedal or another. And then that's how they change their bias so it's cool Mm -hmm. you probably don't Mm -hmm. have to worry about it but you know they're mechanically changing their bias rather than just through uh you know limiting fluid pressure somewhere yeah it's it's pretty sweet because then they'll they usually have a a knob that that you know screws has a has a cable that screws into that that bias bar Mm -hmm. and will be able to adjust it on the fly basically usually from what i've seen they don't do too many adjustments on the fly i'm not sure i guess i know in formula one those guys are adjusting brake bias for every corner <laughs> but um but yeah i mean it, it can let you it can help you set it up you're definitely going to want to adjust it when you start a rain race versus a a dry one mm-hmm. but um but yeah it's, and like you it's mentioned, a pretty cool setup um, fuel load you know 
I've seen that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's there's a lot of cool stuff that uh, that race cars are doing that I wish we could all have in a, on our on right. our like street cars and stuff like that. But yeah, or track day cars. But uh, yeah, so I guess I think so. To to just summarize, I guess the the hierarchy goes: if you're going to the track, get pads, uh, get good pads uh, for whatever you're doing, whether it's autocross or track use um, or if it's your first endurance race get some more endurance focused pads but get pads bleed your fluid uh, then if you you know start to notice have that longer pedal or something uh, work on your cooling uh, maybe even be a little proactive and work on your cooling first um, you know uh, Brian mentioned it but I don't think he really emphasized how important it is to direct that cooling um, cause you know, like he mentioned, it, it might cause problems, but I've seen lots of people point a vent in the general direction of the rotor and it doesn't work that great. Don't be shy about putting it in the center of those vents. Uh, so yeah, you know, get, <clears throat> excuse me, work on, work on your cooling. Um, if you're having thermal problems, if you're having, you know, brake problems, you just can't generate enough, uh, force and you know, you've already explored what you would want to do with a master cylinder, then go ahead and move that caliper out. Uh, and most of the time, if you're just buying parts while you do that, the remainder of a big brake package is going to be included. And, uh, yeah, just, just <laughs> remember everything we talked about, you know, for the, for that package, weight, uh, you know, compliance, stiffness, cooling, um, so yeah, and, and another thing that's related only because it's, you know, mounting your caliper, but it's not quite related to your brake system performance, um, is how your new bracket centers your caliper. Um, from the factory, mm-hmm. those calipers uh, should be centered on the rotor, which is then going to be centered typically around your wheel bearing. Um, and that's the rotor surfaces, not where it mounts, but where you're clamping. Uh, if it's off of that, you're going to generate, um, you know, a moment around your wheel bearing. So it'll wear a little quicker. So if you're looking at a kit and it moves your caliper drastically, maybe, you know, consider that you don't want to be replacing wheel bearings all the time or something, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's um, most of it. Am I forgetting anything? Yeah. yeah, I think I guess one last tip I just thought of was, um, uh, well, one, make sure you follow the recommended kind of bed-in procedure when you get a new set of set of pads in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some of the manufacturers like CarboTech and G-Lock, they have a a very specific bedding procedure that they they want you to to do. Um, because one th- one thing I've seen a lot of teams uh, complain about uh, in Champ Car specifically is, and and we've had the same issue with one of our cars uh, where you get a lot of brake uh, shaking, and you know first thing you think oh my my rotors warp, but a lot of times the the rotor really doesn't warp in 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 that sort of fashion. Um, it's pretty difficult to kind of see that much movement, that much uh, kind of thermal distortion to to really feel that. Mm-hmm. What usually is happening is it's a 
it's an uneven uh, pad, basically pad, uh, uh, the wear transfer, basically. The pad transfer is uneven, and it'll create kind of a, an, a dead spot in the rotor, which will uh, come up with, uh, with, with that shaking. So uh, a lot of times, some of that will be as if when you come into the pits and you, you're kind of hard on the brakes and it's just sitting there really hot, it can melt a little bit of the pad of the rotor and create that shaking uh, other ways I've seen is just yeah, if you if you didn't bed it incorrectly, it can uh, create those kind of dead spots in the rotor. So yeah, one thing to look out for is make sure you follow those those procedures uh, to to make sure everything's going to be working as best as it could. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, that's that's kind of you know, going through the 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 big things, the basics. Uh, you know, like I said, maybe in the future we could talk about ABS systems a little bit, maybe more motorsport uh the more crazy things that they do to to have all the extra adjustability performance lightweight that kind of stuff mm-hmm. but uh but yeah i think that that covers brakes pretty good as as far as like an intro um so yeah was, uh yeah another another more tech focused one i think uh you know as uh, being in the off season here we'll, we're mostly focusing on that and then of course we like to cover some of the pro races as well as some of the, the club stuff too. So we'll keep an eye on some more coverage there and, and yeah, we'll keep, uh, we'll keep these tech ones coming out in this, uh, kind of off season. Um, so, but yeah, th- uh, thanks again for kind of listening, uh, this long. <laughs> if, uh, as we, we always say, um, if you want to reach out to us, we have our social medias, our Facebook, our Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, those pages at Motorsports Tech Talk. It should be pretty easy to find them. Um, if you, you know, if you want to find these episodes easier without even, I mean, although it's good to follow those, it's when we post up when they're when they're going to be released and everything. But if you just uh, subscribe to the podcast or follow it or uh, on Spotify or iTunes, it's it's going to automatically come up now. You know, uh, when the new episodes come up, so a lot of times. Sometimes you'll see a little pop up even before we announce them on Facebook, so you can get a little early access there, I guess. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so um, yeah, if you have any questions or maybe any topics you want us to cover, just reach out to us on our social medias, and uh, yeah, well, we we thanks again, we we thank you again for listening this long, and we uh, hope to talk to you guys again soon. See you.